0: The following podcast contains adult themes and topics.
1: Yes, we're going to talk about adults and their learning habits. What did you expect? We
2: are Natalia. I'm Ida. I'm Bogdan. And together we invite you to join our non-formal talks.
1: Welcome everyone to our our third episode of non-formal talk. I have with me Natalia and Ida. I am Bogdan and I look forward to discussing today with you a little bit about non-formal education principles. So what do you think, my dears? why do we talk about these principles, or why well, do we bring them in discussion when we do activities?
2: Well, I guess these principles came uh, when uh, people started defining non-formal education rather as approach than a methodology. And I guess uh, when they started thinking, what is this uh, all in all about and they realize that this is much more than just um, some sort of um, self-directed learning or some sort of interactive learning experience.
0: Yeah, and I think somehow principles can help us understand also what NFE is and it can help in a way also maybe define it, but they are not rules. Uh, So I think somehow it's important to not mix it up with rules. And actually I was trying to think now of in what other parts of life we use the word principle and I cannot really think of so many other places. I don't know, when you cross the street at the red light or the green light. This is a rule. This is a rule. It's a rule, principle. yeah. And this is much more strict somehow, whereas well, as a principle is more um
1: but the principle would be more like do I stick to the rules or not? How do I um, approach rules? That would be for example, Paris is very typical for the traffic lights mm. because almost, uh, you know, this is a place where people don't really stop. They ha- they stop for a second, they look left, right, nothing comes, they cross. You mm. apply the same rule in Singapore. People will stop, people will not cross until it turns mm. green. Maybe it's about how we approach rules in a way, no?
0: Yeah, yeah probably a good principle to cross a street would be to look if there is a car coming. And then you make a decision based on this somehow. So it's, you have some kind of approach, like a general approach, but it's not, it depends on the situation maybe.
1: Yeah. They kind of give us a little bit of direction Mm. and they kind of guide us on how we should be going about the education that we do. Right. Mm. So which principles do you work with on a daily basis? What would be the principles that you would mention for sure, when you talk about non-formal education?
0: Um, I think one that is um, very core to non-formal education and something that is very important is that it's voluntary based so that uh, the participants who take part in the learning experience, they choose to do it themselves. And I think that's also something that makes NFE maybe different from from other types of learning where um, sometimes it's not your choice maybe to, (laughs) well, I guess it's always your choice to learn, but it's not always your choice to be in a learning space. But with non-formal education, it's your own choice as a participant. And I think this also puts certain, this makes it also interesting, I think, as a trainer, because you, in a way, can always assume that people want to be there. That's important, I think, as a principle. Yeah, it's important, but I guess it also makes
2: it problematic. Because not always people are there, like, super voluntarily. (laughs) And I guess we can also discuss uh, more in depth what Mm. this voluntary means and what are the limits of this voluntary participation. Mm. One thing is when someone, let's say, applies for the course to become a better self, for some self-development course, pays for the course, then perhaps it is voluntary. But when, for example, when a company hires a consultant to make, um, I don't know, a team building activity, uh, it's mm-hmm. not always voluntarily. Like mm-hmm. people must be there. And then, mm-hmm. in this sense, we need to look for another way how to apply mm-hmm. this voluntarism, or how we could stimulate uh, curiosity and uh, wish of people to be there in the process uh, when they are already in place. Mm-hmm. Bogdi, what do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. We often, we often see people coming voluntary, but also maybe not for the purpose of learning or, <laughs> you know, the interest in the, in the objectives that we have there. So it's also, it's also a matter of, uh, you know, uh, considering that. And, and this is somehow related to this idea of, um, also of the per- active participation of participants, because mm. on one side it, it, it's it's somehow um, an obligation to participate. Uh, and on the other hand, the fact that people participate also shapes what is being learned in a way. Hmm. Because again, in this uh, in this kind of environment, there is this dynamic where you, you put in something and you also get something out. If you don't put anything in, you might not get anything out. So it's also a matter of give and take uh, somehow. And the ownership of the learning is theirs and, and it's also connected to this as another principle, meaning you have to take a responsibility for the learning that is going to take place there. And if you have specific needs to make sure that you voice them out and that the trainers are aware of that, so that if more people in the group feel that the, you know, they have a similar need, then the direction can be shifted. And there we meet the other principle, which is learner-centeredness, right?
2: Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. I guess it's closely interlinked with this responsibility Mm -hmm. and uh, for our learning within the training course. Somehow we trust participants that they know what is the best way to learn certain things. And and then obviously this is how we try to ensure the different also learning styles are incorporated into the training process. That people who learn differently could um, have this space or learning environment to get this chance to learn the most. Mm -hmm. And also for me, this learner-centeredness—it also has for me its its own limitations. How much you, as a trainer in practice, can actually focus on individual needs of uh, each single person who is uh, in the in in your learning environment that you create.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's also uh, the same when it comes to responsibility of learning, because I think uh, as a trainer, you can always. Hope. hope and assume that people take this responsibility, but you will also not always know. And uh, this can also, I think, create sometimes some conflicts. And And I think one other, another thing that can happen is also that, um, which also should happen, I think, so it's a bit this, this internal conflict, I think, of the principle is also that um, because people are supposed to, in a way, decide what they learn, how they learn, and when they learn, in a way, themselves, and take responsibility for this learning, um, you will have people Um, gaining different things at at different times. And this is also difficult, I think, when there there is a structured process led by other people that uh, you will not always have everyone on board, which in a way is fine. And I think, again, it interacts with this principle of of volunteering, because if someone decides that they are in a way done for the day and they leave the room, is this okay or not? Um, And then do you actually take responsibility for your learning? Maybe you do. Um, but what happens with the rest of the people who are left in the room? So I think there are these kind of internal conflicts.
1: And yes, yeah. learning is individual, but the contribution of every single individual is extremely important for the learning of everyone in the group. I want to also mention this transparency and confidentiality that also is linked somehow to a uh, learner centeredness from the perspective that uh, as a trainer, uh, we are also um, you know expected to tell people what we are going to do uh, because obviously because if it's centered on the the learner's needs they should be also aware of what is happening uh of the methods, so they can see whether they are aligned with their way of learning and so on and so forth and here the the, the, the let's say the problem here with with saying that is especially when you have methods that that you know you want to uh, use a bit the uncertainty uh, the unknown and so on simulation is, is a good example right you want to do a simulation yeah you, know, you you can't really reveal everything to the participants but what is important in this principle for me is to let them know that there is such a process coming up so that at least at, you know they can prepare themselves uh, uh, for, for for the unknown and for something that, that can be surprising to them. So in other words, you tell them what you're going to do. Maybe you don't give them all the details, but at least you do that. So in this way, they are informed uh, about what's coming up.
2: Yeah, um, and I guess this unknown very much uh, interferes with another principle, which is experiential learning. And uh, I mean, the, this experience, it's almost like a magic, which uh, we sometimes create during the training course there is also a big uh, discussion on what is called um, experience in the training context in case of this group learning experiences at group trainings exactly simulations we call uh, experiential learning when group as a group uh, goes through certain experience a certain situation or certain unknown a certain challenge together as a group mm-hmm. and then we deconstruct it, we debrief it, and we come up to certain conclusions to extract uh, the actual um, outcomes from this experience. And I guess this is important part of soft non-formal mm-hmm. education. Obviously, we do not use this kind of experiences in every session, but I mean, if they do, if they are not there, I can hardly call training course a training course. For me, this is one of the core uh, principles. Do you yeah. think?
0: Do you think trainers do this a lot, where they give a certain vague promise? And then they hope that people don't question it too much. So you will say that we are going to cover this, but you don't maybe say how, or you don't say how long it's going to take so that you allow for this kind of this magic that Natalia mentioned to happen with experiential learning. Or you also maybe allow for needs If in case certain needs come up, you can also adapt to your program maybe. And then you didn't give too much promises. Do you think this is a common approach to... Mm.
1: I don't know. Um, I don't have an answer. Uh, What I can say is that my practice changed over time. As a beginner, as I didn't feel safe or secure enough, I would tend to stick to what I knew and didn't go out of certain boundaries. As time passed by and I became more experienced, I also felt more comfortable with being flexible. For example, I would inform the group about the content that we would touch upon. If a session about communication is foreseen, I would specify that is about written communication, therefore I would avoid creating false expectations. However, when it comes to the method, I would not necessarily reveal it to participants, at least not in the beginning of the training course. I always feel that this would only burden them with an information that is not required in advance. Talking about the method before the session itself should be enough. Um, This is a nice way to keep that uh, (laughs) experiential magic in the air.
2: I think uh, one also of those uh, <laughs> mystified and probably something that we should demystify principles is this holistic learning. What does it mean as a principle when you when you build a training program? What what is it in your experience? How do you uh, how do you work with that when you have a group?
1: I think it's one of the toughest one to work with because it's also the one that quite seldom uh, you can find it in a, in a tra- let's say a traditional formal education setting right mm-hmm. in a traditional formal education setting you most of the time you'd be sitting and you would focus on your head right so i think it's the hardest one to 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 approach because you need to look at at both the hands like what can you do so you'd need to have this hands on type of approach where there is a, some kind of a skill or some kind of a problem solving that is going on At the same time this can still happen while sitting so how do you make sure that there is also move uh, and the body is also moving and that is not just something that is static so i think it is indeed the problematic one um and i I, it depends it really depends on the topics that i with some topics i find it very hard to work Mm -hmm. and and apply it actually i don't know about you
0: i think it also connects to this idea of open-ended learning that learning is not something that stops just because your program ends on a certain day but that it continues in an open-ended way because I think especially when it comes to the heart and the values and the uh, attitudes maybe that you that the person has or grows it can be hard to know when it happens and maybe it's also not something that you as a trainer you don't maybe need to know when it happened or how it happened or if it happened um so it, it connects I think also to this idea that we cannot measure everything and we cannot know everything and then also from I think from the learner perspective uh, maybe also what you said a little bit about this that um, society has taught us I think that learning is very oft- often learning facts and learning numbers and years and names of famous people <laughs> and then when we are certainly supposed to learn not just this but other things I think it's difficult and it very often happens I think that if you if I don't know, if you look back at, I don't know, you had a learning experience and you look back at what you learned, it's easier to list the things that you learned that are facts and numbers and names of people than the other things, the values or the skills or the, uh, these kind of things. And I think that's why it's, yeah, it's difficult also to plan for this kind of learning to happen when it's so hard to, in a way, define or measure. Yeah. And I guess it's also connected
2: with this notion of competence, which uh, sometimes, I don't even know whether we have a right to promise that we develop certain competence as a combination of uh, skills, knowledge and attitudes. Perhaps we only what we can promise, what is in our hands, that we can create environment where this competence could flourish or could develop or could mm-hmm. be questioned, or uh, I don't know, certain attitudes could be shaken a little bit, mm-hmm. but perhaps not more than that. But on the other hand, I don't want to diminish the the meaning of this kind of environment because as a otherwise how else you can uh, structurally develop especially skills and attitudes i, I think skills are relatively easy actually to mm-hmm. develop in, in training process uh, and there are we all know there are many mm-hmm. skill-based training courses when you just go and you actually learn a skill mm-hmm. or learn how to develop a skill when you start learning skill. maybe mm-hmm. you have the first first part of the skill and then you learn the rest later <laughs> And for me, always this attitude part, the value part. Somehow, uh, it's like a deeper level, which perhaps also goes with this participation and openness mm-hmm. and connection among participants. Yeah. Because I guess it's only develops when uh, people can uh, speak honestly, frankly, and also can um, uh, see differences as a positive source, and even some clash it can allow some clashes of opinions, because this is also not always the case. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think you are touching upon now, maybe also the set of a certain set of values that, that should be there somehow present, I would say trust, respect. Uh, these are two that I can hear already from, from what you were sharing. But, and I would add to this, this, this idea of the training space or the non formal education space being also the, the space where, where we question and when we reflect. I think these two, these two elements are the ones also somehow contributing to pushing the learning forward, right? Like, okay, I come in with a certain habit, certain way of doing things, certain attitudes. This should be a space where I can question though. So I, I, even though, okay, I might be convinced that what I do is right. I should, I should be encouraged to question. And, and to go even deeper, it's almost like a, I would say, even a sort of a philosophical in, inner journey, you know, that that we should be each taking when we are participating. I think we are taking it anyway as trainers. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I I always question the thing I do and the things I know um, with every single training I do because it's a it's an immense opportunity to to grow and to learn. And we were talking in the previous episode about change and how change is something that is constant and it's always happening. So for me, these somehow also go hand in hand.
2: I think these principles, they are also somehow should be well digested Mm. by trainers, because if you try to apply them just with your brain and with your mind, when you create a framework, perhaps it's not enough. Mm. It's also a lot on how you react or how you interact during the training process, because I guess it's uh, it's a whole, um, I don't know, constellation of experiences which you create and you are also an active part of it, of this experience. Uh, yeah, that was my... Yeah, I think you
0: really time. have to believe that they are also useful somehow and that they actually contribute to, to the training, because if you don't, yeah, in a way, believe in them, it's also hard to leave them which you kind of have to do when you plan and also when you implement the training.
2: Yeah, but also what I'm trying to say is that I I don't remember myself actually planning on how to apply these principles uh, in the training course, Mm. which perhaps could be a good exercise once to actually reflect on that. But I guess I do apply all of them uh, to a certain extent in uh, most of the experiences where I am a trainer. And I guess I do it somehow naturally or intuitively and, and that's what i'm trying to say that sometimes these principles also reflect uh, the way trainers are trainers certain preference for creating certain learning environment and i guess this is also where we enter this ground that some trainers are more experiential some others are more reflective some others i don't know more have more this individual approach and i guess it is very hard to ensure this balance mm-hmm. but i guess it's also goes a lot with this uh preference that the trainer naturally has yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah i agree i would add to that uh, thinking about my own practice I, I think similar to yours i think i personally learn more from observing so i've been applying in my practice what i've observed other people practicing and i think this is where if, if we are thinking about learning Uh, from this perspective, then then it's very likely that we're going to reproduce what we've seen. But the reflection behind to what extent some of the principles are applied or not is not is not really there. So at some point, we get to the to to this uh, level where you start looking closely to what you do and how you do and you question it and, and then comes this realization that okay, maybe that principle I have not really applied it so much. Maybe I should put more focus on this one or the other one. So, but the, for me, this is how, um, you know, how I, I learned basically by just observing others. And then whatever resonated with me, I, I applied, but mm-hmm. but I never thought in, initially as a, a, you know, in the beginning as when mm-hmm. I started training, I never thought, oh yeah, this is fully learner centered and it's really, you know, by the book and <laughs> and so on and so forth. It really didn't work like that.
0: Um, I think it's nice to to finish maybe also on this note of of trainers learning because I think it also uh, I mean, now when we speak about participants learning, I think it's also a nice reminder the fact that uh, trainers also grow in their role and trainers also learn um, through their work uh, and I think it's probably not the principle but I think it's maybe uh, in a way a symptom of the other principles, it's also this um idea of learning to learn because now I think Natalia said earlier this idea that not everyone maybe knows how they learn they're just kind of expected to to find a way of learning uh, and I think this is also something that happens in NFEs that uh, you're pushed in a way or you're well, let's say supported I guess depending on who you ask to learn and this can also actually help you in knowing how to learn and this can support you in the future um to learn other things skills or competences or whatever um, so, I don't know. I don't think it's a principle, but I think it really is what happens uh, the outcome in a way also of of the way that NFE is shaped, yeah, and sometimes
2: I also have a feeling that nFE is actually more than these principles. Mm. Perhaps it was just an attempt at certain <laughs> uh, moment in yeah. history just to frame somehow mm. what we are doing uh, rather than to put it in a stone. Mm. And I I, I, I still believe that non-formal education as uh, education is still shaping mm. and perhaps, I don't, know, in, um, I don't know, in some 10 years or in five years or maybe even next year, we will have some other principle or we will call it something else or there will be another framework or theory how we look at it.
0: Yeah, everything becomes more real when you give some nice names to it. So I think also, I mean, also somehow for everyone who is listening to this to not be afraid or intimidated by the principles, just because they are called principles and they have nice nice names. Um, because yeah, maybe they're a framework that can actually support us, ourselves in understanding NFE and then they can also be a support to do more quality NFE and to do more interesting NFE and NFE that's where people learn more. Uh, so they are actually supportive and it's a framework rather than these rules that we mentioned in the beginning.
1: Exactly. Let's do that. Let's take each one of these uh, problematic ones and in the next episodes. We also talk about them, uh, see them as frameworks and try to understand them a little bit better. So we'll see all of you on the next episode when we talk about learner-centeredness.